This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nelly. Our guest this week is Minnesota Congressman Colin Peterson, the Democratic representative of the state's 7th district and the ranking member of the House Agriculture Committee. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the U.S. Grains Council, selling American corn, sorghum, barley, and co-products to buyers around the world every day. We'll hear from Congressman Colin Peterson after this. Global markets are an incredible challenge as well as an opportunity. You simply cannot overstate the importance of boots on the ground speaking the local language and understanding local political and regulatory constraints. That's what the U.S. Grains Council does. The explosive food demand is in developing countries where a growing middle class is moving to first world quality diets. But as we look at those markets, the volatility is extraordinary. The U.S. Grains Council is out there 24-7 establishing relationships, building trust, and opening doors for corn, sorghum, barley, and their co-products. And that translates into economic gains for farmers in the United States. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Minnesota Congressman Colin Peterson says tax issues, the Highway Trust Fund, and the appropriation process are the top issues that need attention in Washington. Peterson says the Minnesota winter was harsh. The spring was cold and damp and too late in coming. He's pleased with the commodity title of the new farm bill and believes it'll help farmers transition to a new paradigm of higher stocks and lower commodity prices. Peterson believes the USDA is on track with implementing the new legislation. Yeah, they're making good progress. Um, it's going to be fall before farmers are going to be asked to go in and decide what to do. Uh, there's, you know, money been put out to some of the universities to help farmers uh, figure out the different options. But I think once uh, everything is in place, I don't think it's going to be that difficult. I mean, the farmers are familiar with the countercyclical program, uh, this new SEO insurance. We have to see what... Um, how that is ramped up and and what the cost is going to be and so forth. Uh, That's going to be, until that comes out, it's going to be hard to be able to decide what to do. Um, But that seems to be coming together, and uh, the dairy program, hopefully will uh, that information will be out to farmers here this um, next uh, month. So they seem to be moving, uh, you know, pretty good shape to get this thing implemented. When I think about where agriculture is right now, had the farm bill been written on time, it would have been in a short supply and record price scenario for corn and for soybeans, certainly challenges in the livestock industry. The further delay showed us moving to more of a greater supply and a lower price. Given the PLC portion of the program and the, and the ARC program, do you think we've written a bill to help us to some of this, this shift back to a different paradigm? Well, that's where uh, Chairman Lucas and I were coming from. When we pushed very strong on the, the PLC program uh, uh, because for for our producers, we think that that's probably where the majority of them are going to end up. But, uh, you know, it, it, this gives people an option. But Frank and I both grew up, you know, on the farm, went through some tough times, and I think that's educated us as to how we feel about this. We know that Good prices are going to bring bad prices, <laughs> vice versa, and uh, you got to have a safety net. When we look at the reference price that is there, the folks who were critics of PLC suggested we move back to a point that farmers would be farming for the program instead of the marketplace. 
What if, what, what mechanisms have been put in place to prevent us from going back to those decisions that would distort the market? Well, I don't think that. I've never believed that. That information, you know, that uh, position has been put out there. But I, I don't know of anybody that I've been able to find that, that says they're going to change what they're going to grow based on what those target prices are. I just, I don't, I don't see it. So I think that was a red herring that's been out there. And um, I have yet to find a farmer that uh, will tell me he's changed his planning decision based on those target prices. In the House, we started work on the funding bill for the USDA and the FDA for FY15. In that debate, I noted there was a lot of discussion about other things, nutrition, uh, SNAP funding, perhaps about horse slaughter, but it seemed as the core of the commodity title wasn't included. Yeah, well, I think we've. Uh, I think a part of that is that we've done a, a decent job of putting putting a farm bill together. We fought all these fights, and uh, we're hoping we don't have to fight them again. We just went through the fights, you know, over sugar and dairy and and the commodities and crop insurance and all that. So that maybe is why those aren't being focused on and other things are being focused on. I think it's hard to tell, but that might be. Whether it's in 15 or beyond, how big of a target will crop insurance be in future funding debate? Um, well, it's hard to say. You know, it will be a target. Some people are going to go after it no matter what. I think... If these prices continue to slide, I think it's going to be pretty apparent to everybody how important crop insurance is, and so that may mitigate people going after it. But it's just we'll have to see how the rest of this year plays out and what things look like next year. All right. I'd be curious, what are your thoughts about those school districts and others who are asking for a one-year break, suggesting the, the regulations are putting them in red ink, they need a little more time to transition? I'm sympathetic. Um, I, you know, joined the letter with uh, Congressman Dole that went out some time ago. <clears throat> and we're not going to just give them a waiver. They they have to come in and they have to prove some hardship and um, you know. So it's not just a blanket kind of a thing. And I don't think that's a problem. I think uh, I'm one of those that is skeptical about a one size fits all federal policy. I think you know we're very diverse. Um, very different country in different parts of of America, and it's it's very hard to come up with a one policy that fits everybody. So I think I'm I'm somebody that uh, thinks the waiver is okay. Some folks inside the school nutrition business suggest that their their advanced levels uh, for whole grains going to a hundred percent, their next level of reducing sodium. Some of those feel like maybe perhaps that maybe is a step too far. Uh, is there time? Is there time to tweak this? Well, I'm trying to right now. Uh, one of the things I've talked to our people, uh, you know, in the house uh, that are working on this, I said, you know, I would potentially uh, be on the other side of this waiver issue if we could get some relief on the sodium issue. Because I think that is much more problematic, and it's coming up in 2017. So um, I've thrown that into the mix, and, um, you know, if if we can get some some relief on some of that, um, then I might be willing to be more flexible on the waiver. Inside the Farm Bill, probably the biggest debate or one of the biggest debates was over the amount of funding or rather cuts for the SNAP program. Do you think we'll wind up with the ultimate savings that we had hoped for that the CBO scored uh, with regard to SNAP funding? (laughs) I have no idea. I doubt it. I never could understand how CBO scored this in the first place because I expected the governors to, you know, uh, 
just allocate $20 for individual instead of $1 to qualify them for this LIHEAP exemption. So and that's what a number of states have done. So I never held much uh, faith in that CBO score in the first place. Um, but we'll have to see how it all sorts out. Let's drift outside the farm bill with regard to tax extenders that came through the House of Representatives. What chance do you think we have of, of moving this into conference and getting something done before the election or after? Well, I think it's going to be tough. Um, the problem, you know, is figuring out how to pay for this and, you know, and getting something that both the House and the Senate can, can agree to. Um, <clears throat> I think it's likely uh, that we'll get these extenders done, but if I had to guess, I'd say it would be in December <laughs> after the election. <laughs> you think there well, is? You think there's an odds on chance we'll see a lame duck session? Yes, I don't think there's any question. They're not going to get the appropriation bills done before the August recess. Then we're into the election, you know, and which is already affecting things. And so, I I don't think there's any. You know, there any question that there'll be a lame duck, and I'm guessing this tax stuff will get dealt with in that lame duck. We passed the word of legislation, which was a relief for many, uh, and there are some projects that are funded, but there are lots more that are not funded. Is there any hope through the tax extenders, or is there some other vehicle where funding can fall to this, uh, the increased barge use fee to, to help fund some of the capital projects? We're long on ideas and short on money. <laughs> well, I wish there was. All of the groups that use the Mississippi, for example, are uh, in favor of raising the fees. But the problem is uh, a lot of the Republicans in the House have taken an anti-tax pledge, and so they uh, won't do anything. And so you've got a problem, you know, with that. We also have a problem in the highway bill uh, where we need to raise the gas tax. And um, same thing, you know, we can't get anything moving on it, you know, so I wish uh, there was some, you know, maybe there'll be some way after the election we can move forward, but right now it doesn't look like it. Well, here we are in a midterm election year, and I would be curious your thoughts on the Environmental Protection Agency. There appears to be two two main points, sticking points with rural America. First of all, the waters of the U.S. ruling that now there is an extended period where farmers and others can comment on. And then second of all, the proposed carbon emission cuts from fossil fuel burning power plants. What are your thoughts on these two issues, and especially now that they're surfacing so close to election? Well, you know, I it's not helpful, I don't think. But uh, we had a hearing on the waters of the U.S. in the subcommittee. And uh, I think it's uh, was met with a lot of skepticism on both sides of the aisle. Uh, you know, the question I had for them is that, okay, you said there's nothing that's going to change, that whatever is currently being done for agriculture will um, continue to be done, you know, the NRCS practices and so forth. But um, over half of the NRCS practices, farming practices that are on a sheet of paper, uh, are not included in in this um, memorandum. So, and we've gotten conflicting um, interpretations of this back home already. Uh, so I, I think this is, some, you know, this they're supposed to be giving us some certainty, but I think it's actually accomplishing the opposite.
With regard to the waters of the U.S. ruling, I mean, the, the flashpoint has been that you would call it a low spot in the field, the water of the U.S., and you'd have to have a Section 404 permit. Uh, to me, it seems the bigger issue is intermittent waters, which would mean water from anywhere that winds up in the navigable tributary would fall under greater regulation from EPA and even the Corps of Engineers. Well, that's the issue, uh, and but part of the issue is, you know, like in our part of the world, the NRCS has worked out something with the core, and if if um, if it's a normal farming practice, you don't have to have a core permit. If the NRCS can can, uh, if you log you're complying with the NRCS, uh, you're, you know you're okay. Uh, that's how it's been operating. But now, since this uh, rule has surfaced, now we're seeing some different kinds of of uh, decisions out there. So that that's what I'm concerned about. Some farm groups have responded back from the Secretary of Agriculture, Ms. McCarthy, saying that there are exemptions. And farmers said if you can go back and reinterpret an 07 law, then what's to keep them from changing the yeah. exemptions? No, I understand. And then these exemptions, as I said, there's 56 of them in there, but there's probably another 100 that they didn't put in there that are currently exemptions. So why didn't they do that? So there's just more questions and answers. And, and the, the EPA ruling on... Uh, Carbon, you know, my area is um, a lot of rural electrics and uh, municipals that get their uh, electricity from coal. And uh, I do, I don't, I'm very skeptical of this whole thing because it's going to look to me like be a significant increase in uh, electricity prices, which we don't need. Let's finish up with this from where you sit right now. What are the issues that need to be resolved through the Congress? Uh, if you can laundry list those, and, and and what hope do you have that we'll be able to get to any of those either before the election or in a lame duck? Well, we need to deal with these tax issues, and we need to deal with the appropriation process. And those are the two things that have to be done. You know, you have to also get some way to get a short-term fix on the highway the trust fund running out of money. Uh, so I'd say the highway trust fund, the appropriation, and the tax extenders are the main things that we got to try to deal with that we could actually do something about. Is immigration reform dead? Probably. Probably. It, it's something that we need in agriculture, but, um, again, we can't seem to find a way to move forward. Our thanks to this week's guest, Minnesota's 7th District Representative and the ranking member of the House Agriculture Committee, Colin Peterson. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the U.S. Grains Council, selling American corn, sorghum, barley, and co-products to buyers around the world every day. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.